Welcome home to Click. Hundreds of data analytics leaders are coming home to Click to gain insights from data. Why? Well, it's simple. Better performance, greater usability, and a lower total cost of ownership. Plus, with Click, you can accelerate business value from data on Click's cloud or any cloud. Don't just take our word for it. It's what data analytics leaders are saying. Visit click.com slash welcome home to hear why hundreds of leaders in data analytics have come home to Click. That's click, Q-L-I-K dot com slash welcome home. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. This is my second or third time. I can't even remember. I'm getting so old. But I am so grateful to Leslie for allowing me to guest host for her again today here in the middle of the holiday season. And of course, to Mark Grimaldi, the executive producer of the Leslie Marshall Show. There's no better executive producer in radio, in my opinion, in the country. So to Leslie and to Mark, thanks for having me back. Um, I welcome all of you. Um, it's amazing. I wish you all and your families and your loved ones a beautiful holiday season. So, you know, uh, I think it's an understatement to say we're um, we're uh, in a really interesting time here in our nation's history, uh, post-election, pre-inauguration, with all the shenanigans and all the drama, all the noise, but yet all the comfort, I think, that comes from watching Joe Biden assemble his government. But I don't know that we've ever been a more divided nation, probably, arguably, they say, in the history of the country, even, believe it or not. Uh, We've had some divided and contentious times, as we all know, in American history. But I think this rivals uh, even the worst of those times, in my opinion. So, look, I, I, uh, I thought it was important today to begin that healing process for those of us on the Democratic side, to begin uh, trying to discuss what I think some of us are kicking and screaming going into, which is this healing that needs to take place, this bridging of this divide that we find ourselves in. So on that note, I invited my favorite Republican, who has become like a sister to me, someone I admire, I respect, I adore. I've invited Jean Card as my first guest here today on the Leslie Marshall Show, uh, because I think it's important to to demonstrate to to our audience, to our listeners, to all of us, um, that uh, we've got to learn to find common ground. So let me tell you a little bit about Jean. Uh, Forgive me for reading it because I haven't memorized it all, but Jean uh, Card is a communications consultant She spent most of her career translating complicated issues and stories into compelling and persuasive English. By the way, Gene, we're going to change that after we know each other another 10 years. I'm going to have you doing some of it in Spanish. Cuando acabo contigo, mi amor. Uh, She spent six years uh, in the executive branch of our United States government. She was a speechwriter for the Secretaries of Treasury, the Secretary of Labor, and for the Attorney General in the George W. Bush 
administration. She did that for many years. Uh, she's now just in high demand for her writing, speaking, and coaching, uh, both um, public speaking and writing speeches for corporate leaders and political leaders, not just in the United States, but around the world. She co-hosts the weekly political podcast called Bipartisan. Um, I don't want to reveal any secrets, but uh, there might be something to do with that and me and Jean in the future. Just, eh, just putting that out there, right? She's written extensively under her own name, uh, including a weekly opinion contribution to the U.S. News and World Report opinion page for now four years. She's a graduate of Middlebury College in the state that has a special place in my heart, the state of Vermont. She is a native Vermonter. And I think that's why I fell in love with her as a human being. Everyone knows I'm gay, so don't get nervous, right? She hasn't she hasn't uh, switched to me uh, yet, right, Jean? But so Jean, welcome <laughs> to the Leslie Marshall Show. I love having you as my guest, as my little co-hosting here today. Thanks for being with me. Thank you. And that was such a beautiful introduction. Thank you for uh, sharing all my professional stuff uh, because we also share, you and I, a lot of personal stuff. We know each other quite oh, yeah. well and it's a delight to see your face. Of course, we oh, all are you. starved to see our, each other as human beings uh, these uh, this year. And uh, it's just wonderful to see you and wonderful to be on this show today. Thank you, Jean. You know what? You know what I miss the most, honestly, is that hug I would give you, right? I and know. Let's start with that because, first of all, let's let's talk about this because it's, it's the elephant in the room, and I know that's the symbol of the Republican Party. So, yes, I intended that, right? Elephant it, in a good way, though, I think. In I a know, good we'll way, see. yes. Where are you going with yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> no, Jean, come on. But the elephant in the room, right? Because we're a very divided nation. So let's just start with you and your life as a Republican. And you've been a lifelong Republican. Um, and you and I worked on bipartisan together. I was on the podcast with you many times uh, in the last few years. And that was something way before this ever happened. Way before Donald Trump, you and I were already out there saying, we've got to learn to have civility and civil discourse and yeah. mutual respect for each other. And you and I, we instantaneously did that. So let's talk about this elephant in the room. So first of all, what are your thoughts as a Republican on Donald Trump? Were you a supporter of Donald Trump? Did you agree with a majority of his behavior and his actions. And if you did, that's okay, right? But I want to talk about this because we've got to learn how to have this discussion. Agreed. And I and I, I love that we can start there without any any fear between us, right? I know that it's it's very special, especially, you know, I've lived and worked in Washington for 26 years now. And it's it's very special in this at this time when things are so divided to feel comfortable talking to someone and know that I will not be shut off or attacked Absolutely. or judged. Uh, so I really welcome this and I welcome how easy you and I are about it. Um, I have been conflicted as a Republican for, you know, five years now. I mean, when uh, Donald Trump ascended, I was horrified, quite frankly. I mean, I, when in the 2016 primary season, I was a supporter of Carly Fiorina. She, I really thought that, that she'd be the perfect person for our party at the right time. I'm a, I used to call myself a populist Republican because I grew up in a working class family and I came to the party 
a little bit differently than some people did. I mean, we used to call the difference sort of the country club Republicans, right? And I grew up in a small business family. My parents uh, were high, had high school educations. You know, I was the first, my sister and I were the first generation to go to college. And we became Republicans when my dad started his small business and he started mm. looking at politics differently. He had been, he grew up in a, a blue collar like a union Democrat family. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so those were the roots and my family changed when my dad realized that being an employer and he was a very small employer. I think the, the biggest his business ever got may have had 10 employees. It was a land surveying and engineering company. And, uh, when he realized how difficult the government was making it to do his business and to employ people, he started leaning to the right. And that's how we, we got there. So my, my roots as a Republican, I feel our populace, but then Donald Trump came and took that mantle and used it in a way that didn't feel right to me at all. I guess the short way of saying in terms of, you know, I wasn't surprised when he got elected because there was this, this, this energy in the Republican party, the tea party, et cetera. There was a desire for the party to change and to be more populist and to represent working class people more, which I think was, and actually is a good thing. I think that we should be the party of the working class. However, and the policies, many of them, I agreed with them, probably most of them. But the behavior and the demeanor and the language and the messaging, I almost could come to tears, Mo. I, well, I, is Jean, and I, appreciate, I appreciate you being so honest about that because a lot of people, I think, don't like to put themselves in that volatile or vulnerable position to say, you know what, I'm a lifelong Republican and this man, I, I just didn't like him, right, as a person, his behavior, yes. as you said. And so yes. I can understand that getting emotional about it because I, I would feel the same way if it happened in the other direction, right? On your side. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I appreciate you being so honest. Let me ask you this. Um, I think the key now is uh, whether someone voted for Joe Biden or not, or whether they agree with him or not. The fact of the matter is that people like you and I and, and all of our fellow Americans who still believe in this commonality, right? That Because you and I have learned over our friendship now and doing the podcast together, what we learned and realized in front of people live on air, right? We learned that, wow, we agree on a lot more than we disagree exactly. on. Exactly. Right? You know. The, the, remember the, the episode where we talked about, um, uh, I, I always call it the wedding cake issue. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we found so much commonality over sort of how we felt about business owners yeah. and obviously, you know, and, and gay couples. And like, we seem to really click, click, click agreeing on stuff. And yeah. I'm sure we hugged. Um, that, that's one that stands out to me is what a beautiful moment of agreement. Absolutely. And so, Knowing that the only, in my humble opinion, and knowing Joe Biden personally, right, as 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 you you very well know, I was his senior advisor and his director of management in the White House, and he's a personal friend of mine. But having worked with him, I know he's sincere, and I know you know that too. Like he's genuine and sincere about the desire to unite people. Oh, Gene, we'll be right back and be ready with this when we come back. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mo Vela, guest hosting for Leslie this week. 
um, or today, I should say. Um, my guest is my dear friend, and as I uh, affectionately call her, my favorite Republican, Jean Card. So, Jean, I am. I apologize for my ineptitude in cutting you off at the break there. Um, so, what we, what I was trying to get at was, I wanted to hear your thoughts on first part of the question is, can we bridge this divide? And and I'm I'm I know you well enough to know that the answer is going to be yes. But I do want to hear it in your in your own from your own heart. And then second part of that is how do we bridge this divide? What can we do as Democrats and Republicans who have decency in common, who have that respect in common, who have those American values in common that you and I share uh, right in this this seeking of common good? What can we do? So first, can it be done? Yeah, this is such a good question, Mo, and it's what I think um, you and I both ask ourselves every day. I, and, and you're right. I'm an optimist, and to the question of whether it can be done, I want to say something like, I sure hope so, or we have to. Um, how to get it done, of course, is complicated. I don't know if you've ever heard the concept of wicked problems. I think this is actually a scientific term, a wicked problem. It's like a, it's so knotted. It's so intertwined. There are so many different causes feeding into it. I feel that our politics are a wicked problem because it's not just, do you believe in smaller government or larger government? It's not yeah. that simple anymore. We have this cultural divide. Society is so divided. We, um, you know, elites versus blue collars, country people versus city people, there are racial lines, um, and there's too much of um, people don't even know each other anymore. They don't know each other, they don't like each other, they don't trust each other. Yeah. So what can be done about this? And this is something that I talk to friends about um, at the uh, this, not the beginning of, but this iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, post-George Floyd, all I could come up with then, because everything felt so overwhelming, and I just started calling my black friends and just talking to them one on one. And I and I think maybe that's where we are as Republicans and Democrats too. And say, um, let's let's talk to each other one on one. I talk on a weekly basis now with my dad, who is an ardent, passionate supporter and fan of Donald J. Trump. Who I am not, and this is my dad. I mean. We share genetics and background and everything, and I'm trying so hard to understand. I ask him all the time, Dad, why do you like this guy so much? And and sometimes it just needs to start that small as one-on-one. What, what's his answer, Gene? Because this is, I know I deal with this, I'm not kidding you, a hundred times a day, yeah. trying to get my heart and my mind uh, I genuinely want to better understand. I, I, I think exactly. you and I have that in common, right? We do. We, we do have that in common. Your dad. We I need want to, to understand your dad. So my dad and I have come to two things. One, he has always said that this is a man who did what he what he said he would do. And my dad felt, had felt very let down by politicians for decades that felt that they made a lot of promises and they mm -hmm. didn't deliver. He feels that Donald Trump is the first major politician in a long time to actually do what he said he would do. The second thing that we've come upon in these conversations are that my dad and I are consuming very different sources of information. Um, he he is consuming um, a stream of, of right-leaning media, um, he's not so much on social media, but he gets a lot of like newsletters, that type of thing from right wing yep. groups. Yep. And I'm consuming something. I'm more of like a, I've kind of, my, my feed is almost down to wall street journal and Axios. I'm trying to pick a, a couple of news outlets that I really trust and admire. I rarely watch cable news anymore. Um, I'm so my 
information diet is very different from his. And I suspect that that was, was, it's probably true for a lot of those of us who don't like him as much. So I'm interested in that. I'm interested how social media is impacting all of this. And I encourage people to watch the social dilemma on Netflix actually, because I hope it doesn't conflict with anything that we're saying, but like we're, how we're getting our information needs to change. I think so we, so that we can, we need to move toward a common truth, a common understanding of reality. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it's important. I want to point this out because I have not had the pleasure of meeting your dad. And it would be a pleasure to meet your dad because whoever whoever raised you, I, I want to thank them because, you know, you've, you're so special to me. But but the interesting thing is, I think you're. We need to understand the da- your dads of the of America. We do, as we on the Democratic side. And it's listen. Let's be honest. Most of my fellow Democrats, they don't want to understand your dad, right? They're so hurt, and they're so mad, and they're so frustrated, and they're angry, right? They're angry. We're tired of being called names. We're tired of feeling victimized for our culture, our race, our sexual orientation, our sexual identity, whatever, right? And my but, dad would say the same by, uh, for his side, by the way. He would exactly. say, we're tired we're, we're tired of being belittled. We're tired of being called stupid yeah. racists. We're t- you know, like yeah, both absolutely. sides feel so, They've dug so in. hurt. They've dug in, yeah. Gene. And that's where I was headed with this because what we, I, there's no way your dad is a racist because he couldn't right. erase you if he's a racist. There's That's just right. see, and this is what I wanted to point out here is that I brought you on today because I wanted to show people we can have this dialogue. We must have this dialogue. We must start recognizing that your that your dads of America, they're not all racist. We can't start there. We can't start there. We can't say that there's that they're all wrong and that they're horrible people. We've got to start with the premise that. Hey, I'm going to treat start with a place of treating you with respect and dignity. But if you don't treat reciprocate that, then we have a problem, right? But can we just start of a place of kindness and then let's build from there? Do you think that that has any hope or am I just like singing like or am I just like dreaming of a utopia that doesn't exist? <laughs> Mo, it is the way and we are going to keep talking about it. And my only other advice is think about it at the micro level with your friends and family, and then think about your neighbors and the town or city you live in. Think local, immediate. I like that. Um, I think I might run for city council next year. Like I, because I am frustrated with national politics. I might run for local office. It's stuff like that that feels like. And that's where you can start building those bridges and start healing the divide. Gene, we're like, we're down to the last thirty seconds. We could go on forever. And I, I thank you so much for being with me, and thank Leslie again for allowing me to have this platform to bring you on. Because we've got to, you and I, I want to do this more with you because we've got to show people. Let's come together and find common ground. Gene, I adore you. You're my favorite Republican. And I can't wait to keep building on our friendship. Thank you for being with us. I love you, brother. Thank you for having me. I love you. Take care, Gene. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
back, uh, everyone. I, uh, again, let me thank Leslie Marshall for the opportunity to be her guest host today and our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. There's no one better in the business than Mark Grimaldi. Um, and so now uh, we're going to change uh, the tone here a little bit to what I think is one of the most pressing issues uh, that I personally believe actually may be one of the major ways to bring this country together around an issue that I think uh, knows no partisan divide uh, in, in many circles. So uh, I um, uh, that issue, of course, is climate change and the environment. I Honestly, it doesn't matter how divided we are or where someone falls on the political spectrum. If we don't have a planet to live on or clean air to breathe or clean water to drink, none of it matters. It doesn't even matter if we hate each other, if we don't, even, we can't even exist on this planet. So this, frankly, is probably the issue we should all be focused in on. And so I have brought today, uh, I'm, I'm in a personal point of privilege here, or a point of personal privilege, I think is the way you say it, uh, he happens to be a dear friend of mine, but he actually is one of our nation's incredible experts on climate change and on the environment and on conservation. And, and that is Basil Sagos, the commissioner of the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, a member of Governor Andrew Cuomo's cabinet. He, as I said, is one of our nation's expert on the environment, on climate change, on conservation. He has an incredible career, both in the private sector, uh, through a clean tech private equity company where he was an executive at. Uh, he sits on, I, I don't even want to list them. I can't, I just read the boards he sits on. I'm not kidding. And I just like, I want to go take a nap because Commissioner <laughs> exhausts me just to read all the boards. The Delaware River Basin Commission, the Environmental Facility, New York State Environmental Facilities Corporation, Regional Development. I mean, on and on and on. I want to make note that you were an attorney and an executive at Riverkeeper. That's special to me, which was Bobby Kennedy's initiative in, in New York and nationally. You are a graduate of Trinity College, Commissioner, and you have your law degree from Pace School of Law. And something, of course, as you know, Commissioner, that I admire so greatly about you, you are a captain in the United States Army Reserve in the Judge Advocate General Corps. And we thank you on behalf of a grateful nation for your service uh, as a, a member of the United States Army Reserve. So everybody, welcome uh, Commissioner Basil Sagos, my friend um, and somebody in a Basil, can I just quickly tell people, we, we, I was, got on an Amtrak train in Manhattan about two years ago, heading up the Hudson Valley uh, of New York from Manhattan. He was heading to Albany. I got off in Poughkeepsie. Uh, I literally wanted to sit in one of those little chairs in the, the dining area of the train. And this gentleman said, that seat is taken. And I was like, oh, my God, these New Yorkers. That was my first thought, right? I had just moved to New York. And then he very kindly said, but I'll move over and let you have this one. And so I ended up sitting with this gentleman who has now become like a brother to me 
truly a dear friend. And that was Commissioner Psycho. So Basil, no, that's well, how we that's how we say hello in New York. You're in my seat. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great start to what became a rough start to an incredible friendship and brotherhood. <laughs> so Basil, I want to I want to we you know we've got we could talk for hours obviously on the environment and climate change, but first of all, I want to give you a chance to share with us because you are you and Governor Cuomo are truly leading the nation on some of the efforts that the state of New York is doing. You're the role model in many ways. And an example, I know that you are leading the effort with the New York Climate Act. Can you share with us, because I think it it gives us some comfort to know that states like New York are doing things, real things, to combat climate change. So can you give us your perspective and your thoughts on the New York Climate Act? Love to. And Mo, thank you for having me aboard, brother. Um, I'm glad I, I, I shifted over and let you sit, sit next to me that time. That was great. <laughs> um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything you said in the preamble um, about the importance of climate change and climate action uh, right now is, is, so, uh, is so perfect and important. Um, uh, we, we are facing uh, what people say is an existential crisis. I think it is. It's also, as, as many have said, uh, an amazing opportunity for the country uh, to, come, to come together around a, a shared goal, a shared crisis like this, and see if we can make the most of it and, um, and, and make some change and really uh, begin to shift the needle backwards towards something more sustainable. I am so fortunate to work in a state with a boss uh, like Governor Cuomo who understands that um, and really has understood it since the day I first joined him in uh, 2012. Uh, late 2011, uh, we had just been hit by two storms, Hurricanes Irene and Lee, which really devastated the upstate uh, areas, parts of the Catskills, Adirondacks that just got wiped out. And um, and then shortly thereafter, if you remember, Superstorm Sandy came along oh, and, yeah. and crushed the downstate area, Long Island, New Jersey, uh, New York City, where you had water flowing into the, the World Trade Center bathtub. Um, just, you know, that in, it, in itself was a paradigm shift, it, it, at least for New Yorkers. It didn't, climate change became something that was more present, more real, and less uh, theoretical. Um, and, and the governor uh, convened all of us at that time and said, we've got to come together and figure out how to rebuild the state, how to mitigate our, our emissions, but also how to rebuild the state and adapt to the new normal. Um, and uh, eight years uh, in, um, I am so proud of what the state has accomplished, and we have built climate action into uh, our economic portfolio. Uh, we have 159,000 jobs currently in, in wow. New York in the in the energy clean energy sector. It's a huge and and booming economy here in New York, um, and that's that's even before we signed the the, the climate law that we signed. Mm-hmm. The governor signed last year, that which the New York Times called the most ambitious of any government in in the world. Um, and, it, you know, to, to, to be on the, on the leading edge of that, to have gotten it done uh, on, a, on, a, on a bipartisan basis over the years, and now to have this opportunity here uh, in New York is something that I think um, can serve as, uh, as a great example of what can be done in other states, nationally, in other countries, when you have, you know, the, the will to bring parties together, sit at the table, iron something out, um, and address some of the really pressing issues of our time. I think one, one thing that makes our law um, uh, so unique and so important, mm-hmm. and, I, and I have so much faith in it, is that it, it's, first of all, it's economy-wide, 
and it and it has job the transition of jobs as one of its center points. Yeah. Uh, secondly, is is uh, the the concept of environmental justice. Mm. The, the the communities that that bore the brunt of pollution over the years need yeah. to be the ones that benefit from from it, this yeah. transition from this and transition that's, yeah it, it, and that's it so that that I mean that in a nutshell is is how we will succeed and I think it's an inspiring uh, example of what can happen nationally that's just so wonderful I'm so glad that you shared that with everybody because um, to me there are a couple of things I take from that commissioner one is. One is it brings me a lot of hope and comfort that somebody with your expertise and your national leadership on this issue believes that we can still do something. You know mm. what I'm, where I'm coming from? In other words, like right. it's not so fatalistic. Like, you know, I, I hear in your actions there with the governor and in the state of New York, I hear there's hope but we've got to act. And so mm -hmm. I find hope in that, right? That, hey, we can still get control of this. We can still mitigate. We can still prevent um, right. through actions like you. And then the second thing I took from some of that, uh, Basil, is that I, I think a lot of it has to do with how do you deal with these deniers? You surround yourself with people who yeah. acknowledge. And there was a NIMBY component to what you just said about uh, mm. the, the storm. Right, the last one, Sandy, right. when you said it became a reality to New Yorkers. And it, so I think a lot of deniers, it's it's not in my backyard, mm -hmm. but until their farm is flooded, right? Look at Miami. I bet you there aren't a ton of deniers there because the ocean is rising, right? Sure. Yep. And so yep. it's a NIMBY thing, right? So now as people, you know, even though the hurricane blows somebody's house away, some of them are still going to say there's no such thing as climate change, <laughs> right? But I appreciated you going, you sharing with us. Now, listen, we're we're getting close to a break. So I want to tell you that on the other side of the break, the question I'm going to have for you is, I don't, I maybe you disagree with me, but I think Donald Trump has done uh, a lot with the EPA and on climate change in the sense of policies that are um, that are adverse to fighting <laughs> climate change and adverse to conservation and adverse yeah. to environmental protection. On the other side of the break, I want to hear your thoughts on whether you believe that's irreparable and irreversible. Uh, and if it's not, what can we do to make sure that it's not, right? So we'll see Great. you in just a second. We'll be right back. Sounds good. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Mark, Mark, can you hear me? Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I, as you might have heard before the break, I, I, it's a privilege. It really is. It's a personal privilege and a privilege from a. Uh, perspective of our environment and the conservation of our planet um, and climate change to have one of our nations and really one of the world's leading experts, Commissioner Basil Sagos, uh, the uh, commissioner uh, at the Department of, I never get your dad gum agency right, department, <laughs> but I owe it to all of your 3,000 colleagues to get it right. The Department of Environmental Conservation for you the state it. of New a member of, yeah. of course, Governor Andy Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo's, excuse me, Andrew <laughs> Cuomo's uh, cabinet. Um, so, Commissioner, before the break, I had posed, uh, you know, I had posited, I guess, the, the the thought that I felt like Donald Trump had 
taken some very, very severe adverse actions and policies and deeds at the uh, Environment Protection Agency, the EPA of our nation. Uh, first of all, do you agree that that is the case? And if so, um, are, do you think they're irreparable or irreversible? Can we can we get this back? Can we get back on track? Um, so, I agree with you new, on both administration, yeah. of course. Yeah, I, I agree with you on both fronts. First of all, the the, the worst environmental uh, administration in history. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I absolutely think we can get it back on track. I mean, you don't take these jobs as uh, you know state officials if you're a pessimist. You always have to find uh, the the good out there and find a path forward, frankly, and inspire others right. to do that. So, um, yes, a- a- absolutely, we have a chance. And um, you know, we've shown that here in New York. I think that, that you you talk, look at the governor with COVID, talks facts, science, makes decisions based on science. Uh, it's the same approach on on the environment. Speak to people with with facts. Talk to the talk about science and provide solutions and. Uh, that's what makes me feel really optimistic about the next uh, about the next four years. I'd have finally have a partner in Washington, uh, in in a president like Biden, who who um, has made climate uh, and environment one of his top top issues. So you almost couldn't script it better to come out of these four years where um, climate has been uh, the, the butt of jokes um, as we see the world burning oh, I know. Uh, in Amazing. some respects, and we see fish stocks declining and water contamination. You actually have somebody who, who sees the, the, the path forward. And also, it's not just let's, let's embrace the environment. It's let's put forth a real plan to transform the economy. Let's right the wrongs of the past in, in environmental justice, climate justice neighborhoods. So I think there's absolutely a path forward. There, we couldn't do it soon enough. And we have to do it uh, soon enough so that we can uh, keep up with what is actually happening with, with, uh, with warming and, and with the damage being done to our planet. You know, Commissioner, um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. You at one point worked uh, in the White House Environmental Quality Office, right? Uh, and Many and years that, ago. Yeah, well, <laughs> you just graduated from middle school. Come on, Commissioner. <laughs> but, uh, but, so, but you have that in your career. And, and I was just thinking about this as I was reading your incredible bio uh, and your credentials and I was going through them. And it made me think about this. What um, you just said it so beautifully that we're going to have a partner in Washington again in Joe Biden, right? And and so, what are your thoughts on the fact that he named John Kerry, right, the climate czar, on top of the White House Environmental Quality Council, right? I mean, typically we had just had the, the Environmental Quality Office, which was a nice thing as well, right, to have their presence. But now on top of that, he's put in, and if I'm, am I wrong that I think he announced he's going to make that a cabinet level position? Am I wrong? I, did I hear that wrong, I wonder? Yeah, certainly a presidential uh, appointment on the National Security Council. I mean, that it, it doesn't get, uh, it's not oh, on the National much Security more uh, as yeah. a reflection of the, the importance of the of the issues to put somebody like Secretary Kerry in that slot yeah. and, and everything that he brings in terms of international diplomacy his knowledge of the issues from his time as a senator all the way through uh, uh, his time in, at, the, at the State Department. I mean, it, it shows that the administration is, is for real. The president-elect has talked about re- rejoining the Paris Accords day one. Uh, and, of course, that's going to be an enormous amount of work over the years to kind of right the ship, reassert uh, American leadership on this issue. We can't solve this 
without all the countries together, but it certainly won't happen without the U.S. You know what, Basil, you you said something a while ago that I want to hit on again, because I think I think one of the problems is a lot of people hear climate change, environment, conservation, and they think fires, storms, floods, trees, rivers. But it's it look at the fact that he put him as part of the National Security Council. What does that say? It means that climate change, protecting the environment, conservation of our natural resources, it's also about race, a race, racial equality. It's about economic equality, Mm -hmm. right? So it's much more than just trees and floods, right? Right. Right. It affects every aspect of our national security. I mean, you look at our national security, right? Where are we? Yeah. What are, where are our interests around the world? Who are the people that will be, will be displaced uh, in the event of sea level rise? I mean, it's millions and millions and millions of people over, yeah. over the next uh, number of decades. So um, absolutely, making this a full government approach to, uh, to, to problem solving, uh, involving every uh, cabinet secretary, that's the way to do it. You invest everybody into it. You make it about jobs. You make it about uh, equity. And you make it about security, as, as the, the, the president-elect is doing. And that's exactly what the governor has done here in New York. So I'm in charge of the Climate Action Council, along with a, a partner on the energy side. And we have, as our uh, member, co-members, every single department head. And what that does is that, is that invests the entire state government in it. We're all together in it. We meet a thousand times a day on it. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of technical conversations. But now yeah. we're in the trenches. We went from the high level, signed the bill. Now we're in the trenches making it happen. Uh, but that's a reflection of real leadership when you can have uh, a chief executive uh, governor making it happen with all of his cabinet secretaries. The same thing I think is going to happen at the federal level. I, I I just wanted to point that out because it's so much more than just the words, right? It affects every aspect of our lives it and it Im- impacts people and our economies around the world and in every aspect of, of uh, not just our lives, but business, industry. Right, technology and everything, um, and you have so, to be able to talk to all of those, all of those various, all groups. those stakeholders. Yeah, you have to, you have to find. You don't come into room with, into the room with the same message to firefighters as you do to business executives. I mean, right. it, this is a comprehensive problem that dissolve, deserves, you know, the right kinds of approaches to all the various constituency groups, and then engaging them and making them part of the solution. Which is something, obviously, that you the governor and president-elect Biden and vice president-elect Harris obviously are uniquely gifted in all of you and your ability to bring uh, various stakeholders together and create and build consensus. Commissioner, I'm going to go somewhere that I wasn't planning to go, but okay. I, I, I just, I, no, 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 I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to discuss what we discussed on that train ride, but, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I like to point this out because I grew up in Texas and a lot of the people look at that chubby, bald, gay Latino from South Texas, and people <laughs> don't realize I grew up hunting, yeah, right, and fishing. Right. I'm right. an avid fisherman. I want I, you are too, and I like to bring this up. And let me tell you why, because I think a lot of people think of us as like as Democrats or those of us in a Cuomo administration or Joe Biden's former senior advisor like me. We couldn't be hunters and fishermen. We are. <laughs> And I wanted to just share that about you. You're an avid hunter and an avid fisherman. Is that correct? I I love both sports. I love being outdoors first and foremost with with my wife and kids. I mean, that to me is the best thing, being on the water, St. Lawrence River as we go all the time. 
and then being out being out hunting. I mean, I, I, I will say this. I am not a good hunter. If you will ask my wife, I've, uh, I've been out a bunch this season and I have nothing to show for it. Uh, but I think it's the appreciation of the sport, right? I mean, absolutely. The, the original and to environmentalist. Be the, the, and, to be in the environment, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. To be among those rivers and, and just walking near the river or just seeing oh. the mountain range, right? To me, that's what brings me such peace and solace. I, as you know, I was in Vermont for four months this yeah. year. And uh, I texted you, I don't know how many times, saying, Commissioner, I know why you do what you do. Please keep doing it because I'm, I'm enjoying this beautiful mountain that's unimpeded, right, and, by... And I think I, I think I told you that you shouldn't have been in Vermont. You should have been in New York. You, you did that. tell me that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For Governor Cuomo, if he ever hears this or watches <laughs> this tape, we want to. He did promote New York governor. Yeah. Um, so, Commissioner, I also uh, I heard a little rumor. We've got sixty seconds, but I heard a rumor that you are actually uh, being considered to be the next EPA administrator. And I just want to put that out there to the universe because our country couldn't have a better EPA administrator. So uh, if it's meant to be commissioner, I hope it does happen for so that all of America and all Americans can benefit from your incredible leadership. But in the meantime, to the people of New York, go be grateful. Your commissioner is amazing. Commissioner, thanks for being with us. Thank you for sharing your expertise, your vision. Thanks for all the action you've taken in the state of New York and setting the example for the rest of the country and the rest of the world about the things we can do. Thank you, and thank you for your friendship, Gus. Mo, thank you. Thank you to all your listeners and viewers. And if you happen to see Mo on an Amtrak, uh, move aside because you're going to learn a lot about the world. <laughs> Look what happened, huh? And to Mark Grimaldi and to Leslie Marshall, thank you for letting me guest host again. I hope you'll have me back one more time and we will have the commissioner back where we can keep talking about the environment, climate change, and all the things all of us can do together. In the meantime, happy holidays to each of you and your loved ones. To my heartfelt thanks to Mark and to Leslie. You take COVID seriously, but being safe isn't always comfortable. That's why we started MaskLink. MaskLink with a Y. Each stylish designer mask features eco-dry fabric to cool your face and features high-Q ViroBlock technology, making MaskLink 99.997% effective at reducing the risk of COVID. Order at MaskLink.com. That's M-A-S-K-L-Y-N-K.com. Order now with code FAM30 to save up to 30%. FAM30, short for family. FAM is in Mary 30. Welcome home to Click. Hundreds of data analytics leaders are coming home to Click to gain insights from data. Why? Well, it's simple. Better performance, greater usability, and a lower total cost of ownership. Plus, with Click, you can accelerate business value from data on Click's cloud or any cloud. Don't just take our word for it. It's what data analytics leaders are saying. Visit click.com slash welcome home to hear why hundreds of leaders in data analytics have come home to Click. That's click, Q-L-I-K dot com slash welcome home.